Welcome to the Birth Warrior Podcast. In each episode, we feature the stories of birth warriors, women who have persevered to find their own truth in pregnancy and birth. As you hear these women share their stories of love, autonomy, connection, and power, it is our deepest wish that you will be inspired, empowered, and supported to find your own truth. We are honored these women have stepped forward to share their personal stories and to help us remember that we all have the power to choose what is right for us. The Birth Warrior Podcast is a presentation of the Indie Birth Association and is not intended to be medical advice. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Birth Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Graham. And on today's episode, we have Haley. Haley Kirksey is a 28-year-old Arkansas native, married, and a mother of two young children. Holding a Master of Liberal Arts degree in English Literature, she is currently writing a novel while living as a full-time stay-at-home mom. With the hope of inspiring other birthing women, Haley will be juxtaposing the stories of her two home births in under two years, the second of which allowed her to come fully into her power as a woman. The ultimate message of her story is this. Whether we have one birth or more than one birth, birth can give us the greatest opportunity to discover our true strength as women. And I hope you all enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Haley. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So wherever you would like to begin your story, please share. Okay. Um, so I'm a mom of two babies and I had both of them at home. So I guess I want to kind of start by explaining how I even came to choosing to have a home birth from the get-go. Um, cause that's kind of unusual. I think typically the, the, the more normal story you might hear is that someone has a birth in a hospital and they're not satisfied. So they look for other options with a subsequent birth. Um, but for me, I, I chose a home birth from the get go. Um, but the way I came to that is not <laughs> very typical. So I was actually uh, completing my master's degree in English in like 2018, 2019. And I had to write a thesis on a a work of literature to get my degree. And I was just studying uh, Frankenstein, uh, which is a novel by Mary Shelley. And a lot of people have heard of that. You may or may not have read it, but generally the gist of the story is it's about an upper class uh, gentleman guy who decides he wants to do something and get famous. He wants to create life out of out of nothing like you know he wants to get a dead body and bring it to life he wants to figure out the mystery of life and he wants to go down in history for it you know he's purely ambitious like this is all glory motivated he just wants to be famous and he ends up doing it somehow and then he you know soon as he does it he abandons his creation and he runs away and he spends the rest of the novel kind of evading responsibility for what he's done and then the end result is just not good it's death, chaos, destruction, the end. Um, So a lot of scholars, when they look at Mary Shelley's work and why she wrote this, they kind of relate it to, uh, you know, they talk about the the motherless child, like the effect of the motherless child, like the creature was created and he didn't have a mother because his creator bypassed the natural route of bringing life 
forth, you know, with mm-hmm. the mother and the father coming together. He, he bypasses that and he goes an unnatural way. And mm-hmm. so the end result is just not good. And so that's what a lot of scholars say. And they, they usually look at Mary Shelley's own life and she was motherless and they t- relate that to the story. So I started to look at contemporary birth practices in early 1800s Britain. And this happened to be uh, probably, you know, you could say it's like the early, early obstetrics before they called it obstetrics. Um, the, the idea of having the male physician come in and attend the woman was starting to catch on with the upper classes during this time. And so I just kind of researched a little bit of what was going on. And it turned out, you know, the medical establishment was touting the superiority of who they called male midwives. Um, this is before they started using the word obst- obstetrician, uh, excuse my baby here. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, you know, they started touting the male midwives as superior to a traditional female midwife. And so that's kind of starts the war on midwifery, you know, way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, they had, they touted that they were more superior because they had better technology. They were trained, you know, whereas the midwives, oh, they were not trained. They didn't have tools that the, the male midwives had and they were superstitious. And, you know, they kind of cast a a negative light on them. So basically upper-class people were starting to, to look to the male midwife as the person to tell them what to do. You know, that's, that's kind of the beginning anyway. So I I learned about that just because of my research from the novel and I was just not, I was not very impressed with it. Um, So that was kind of inadvertently like my first like red pill about birth um, because Mm -hmm. I was at a time in my life where I definitely did not anticipate having children. I was in a long-term lesbian relationship. So Mm -hmm. certainly I did not expect to get pregnant at any point in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember, you know, coming away from that and just learning about how, uh, you know, I was just like, oh, I see now why we have babies in hospitals. This is kind of where it began. Um, But that was that. So before I get done writing that thesis, um, the girlfriend breaks up with me and that was very unexpected for me. But then two weeks later, I literally met um, the man who would be my husband and the father of my two children today. So it's funny how these things work out. And he was just somebody who was into natural health and, uh, you know, was mindful of the food he ate and he didn't drink, he didn't smoke. And I was kind of making an exodus out of a life of alcoholism and smoking and not taking care of myself. And I was trying to be more healthy. And so like, I found him at just like the perfect time where, you know, I found someone to kind of help me get into this like more healthy lifestyle. And he, you know, my husband, he's, he's been entrenched in the medical system for almost 20 years. He's had cancer. He's had surgeries for cancer over and over. He was very (laughs) distrustful of the medical system, very disillusioned by it. Um, So, you know, when we talked about our future together, getting married and having babies, he was all on board for having a home birth, like from the get-go. He is like, we don't want to have our kid in the hospital. That's not a good place to have babies. Um, So it, it was quite, you know, it was just so weird that I just happened to learn about the early uh, iterations of, of modern obstetric care. And it kind of informed, you know, my future after I met this man. Mm-hmm. And certainly a few months later, we were, you know, I was pregnant and we were very excited about it. So 
we knew we wanted a home birth and in Arkansas where I live, um, midwives are licensed by the state. And at the time, I thought that was a really good thing. It's funny, my, my views on that have changed since then. But mm -hmm. at the time, I was like, yes, we can go get a licensed midwife. It's perfectly legal. It's perfectly safe. Um, and we found one uh, in our town. And she was nice and everything. And I started, me and my husband started going to our prenatals. You know, I took, I took my husband with me to every single prenatal. Um, I did all the, you know, any testing that there was to be done. I did it um, without any kind of question. Um, even though I was choosing to have a home birth to like get away from like the medical paradigm, I was still operating under that medical paradigm. Like I, I wasn't really aware of it, but I was definitely still operating under the notion of like, oh, I'm pregnant. I need to consult someone on the outside to help me because I've never done this before and I need that guidance you know like I was very you know dependent on this idea of like I need a midwife here because I don't know anything and they do mm -hmm. um, and so I you know dutifully went to every prenatal and did all the testing um, in Arkansas they require the licensed midwives have to send their people to a doctor or somebody at 12 weeks and 36 weeks to respectively to to make sure that they are still low risk and so they call that a risk assessment mm. um, so i had to go to the health department and get a risk assessment and although you know admittedly it is like the in vogue thing for home birth people at the health department to decline like all the things like you know we don't we typically don't do the pelvic exam or we don't do the pap smear and a lot of the women don't do the ultrasounds um, at the time i didn't know much about ultrasound i didn't have any issues with it i didn't know about it really um and so i i didn't oops my baby um i didn't decline it i declined it officially because they were going to send me to the hospital to get an ultrasound I declined that because I didn't mm -hmm. want to go to the hospital, but I ended up getting an ultrasound at one of those like uh, keepsake ultrasound places, um, mm -hmm. you know, because I thought that I needed to have an ultrasound uh, midway through my pregnancy. So I had an anatomy scan and it was all fun or whatever. You know, I got to have my family be there and look at the baby and stuff, um, but I didn't think twice. You know, I just kind of did it because that's what you do when you're pregnant. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I did all the screening the gestational diabetes you know i had to drink that horrible sugary drink um and uh i just you know just went through everything was just textbook pretty much you know i was kind of like proud of the fact that i was like a textbook low risk uh home birth person like you know when people would ask me oh what does the midwife say i would I would be like, oh, the midwife says it's kind of like giving someone my report card for, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm an all I'm a straight A student. Like that's kind of the attitude I had about it. And it's really kind of funny to me now. Um, but yeah, so I just went through and did everything, didn't really think much about anything. And definitely I definitely wasn't really in tune with my own body. I kind of waited for the midwife to tell me that things were OK to feel OK. Um, and everything was going smooth until about March uh, 2020. And this was right at the start of my third trimester. And as we all know, you know, that's when the COVID started. Mm -hmm. And although I didn't live, I don't live in an area that was too draconian with, um, you know, the government orders and the lockdowns and stuff, I was still pretty disgruntled by 
by just the disruption of life. Like I, I was, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have never had an issue questioning the narratives that are being pushed by the media and the government. Like I kind of grew up with, uh, you know, my dad was one of those people who was like, 9-11 was an inside job. Like, you know, so I was always hearing stuff like, like questioning what they're saying on the media is not anything that makes me uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, was very skeptical of the coordinated, you know, everything's closing all at the same time, all the governments are doing lockdowns. Like I, I looked, I remember the day that this stuff started, I looked at my husband, I said, they're, they're going to milk this. They're going to, they're going to do things with this. They're going to use this. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, here we are two years later. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it put me in such a bad mood. Like I was just so irritated by everything shutting down by people being okay with everything shutting down. Like, you know, at the time I wasn't really a church going, uh, Christian person. Like, like I actually am now, but I wasn't at that time, but my grandma, you know, she's gone to church her whole life. And I remember looking at her and being like, grandma, are you okay with the governor saying you can't go to church? And she was, she was just like, whatever, you know, she was like, well, you know, it's what we have to do. And it all just irritated me so much. Mm -hmm. So the reason I bring this up is because I, at that time, I didn't want to be around anybody who bought into this stuff because it was just exhausting for me. Like I Mm -hmm. can't, I'm not someone who can lie. I have to be kind of truthful, like to myself and to the people around me, even if it makes people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I just was like, I'm not having it. If if you buy into this stuff, if you're drinking the Kool-Aid on this, I, cool for you, but I don't want to be around you because it's exhausting mentally for me. Well, you know, the midwife sends out a letter that they've been instructed by the Department of Health to like change things because of COVID. And so we had to start seeing them less frequently. So if we were seeing each other every week, it changed to every other week, you know, like, like they cut mm. everything down in half. And I think yeah. that's what everyone did in, in obstetrics too. I mean, I think that's what happened all across the state. Yeah. But she, you know, she sent out that letter saying that, you know, we're doing this. We're not, you're not going to get to meet my other midwife at the home visit because we're trying to minimize how much we're visiting people's homes. And so I didn't get to meet the other midwife until the birth. Um, mm-hmm. and then, uh, the biggest thing I think that caused so much like anxiety for me was that she, you know, she, she was like, and we're asking that you guys avoid gatherings. Like, so, so they were telling the clients to not go anywhere mm-hmm. because we could potentially get COVID and give it to them. And then they wouldn't be able to serve all their other clients. And so all of a sudden now here I was having anxiety about having a freaking baby shower, like, yeah. because I was worried she would find out about it and I would get in trouble, you know? And yeah. my grandparents had already said, we can't have the baby shower at our house because it's dangerous, you know? So I was already like, I, you know, I just couldn't believe that these things before that I would have never had thought a second about were right. now huge issues. Totally. And- <laughs> I don't think, I don't think any of us would have ever thought until two years ago that anything that anything like this would have caused any kind of issue it's it's wild it was it it was so you know so I was just very disgruntled by the the interruption in 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 regular life and you know it being at the end of my pregnancy like this was supposed to be a happy time where I'm like looking forward to the baby coming and I really wasn't that happy I was really quite irritable um you know my husband and I we were going crazy like he you know he lost his job right when 
uh, right when the shutdown started and mm -hmm. we were like cooped up in our house all day, like losing our minds because, you know, normally we went to place it, you know, if, if anything, going to the store, you know, I mean, uh, so anyway, what was probably the worst about this was that we realized pretty quickly that when our midwife came to visit us that, you know, she put on her mask and she wore gloves. Like they, they were like, we're going to wear a mask and gloves when we visit you guys in your houses. Mm -hmm. we're like, okay. And we jokingly told her, we were like, you know, you can take your mask off and we're not going to tell on you. Cause you know, we just figured she was doing that because the department of health, you know, orders from on high, like right. we just figured she was just following what they said, but she didn't right. think that was very funny. She was like, well, we don't know about this virus. So you know, it just became apparent that, okay, she believes in all this stuff. And she, mm -hmm. you know, she's not questioning, she's not scrutinizing the information that she's being given. And that was kind of, it's just disappointing, you know, because I, I, if I had to be around anybody, you know, for one, I wasn't getting to see people anymore. But two, the people I am seeing, I, I want to be able to vent about how I feel because yeah. I'm just so irritated and, you know, and being pregnant on top of that. Uh, so that was really hard, like having to kind of keep my mouth shut, I guess, whenever we had our prenatals from there on out, you know, because it was pretty clear that like, like my husband, bless his heart, he kept trying to, you know, start up conversations with her about, you know, controversial things that she mm -hmm. just wasn't having it. And, uh, you know, I remember looking at him, I was like, I think she just believes in all this stuff. And he's like, no way. And I'm like, no, I really think she does. So there's really no point in trying to have a conversation about this. And so, you know, that was kind of a bummer, but regardless, the, you know, pregnancy went on and eventually, um, I go into labor. Uh, so I, I went into labor about 5am ish on a Monday morning and the baby was born around 3.30am on a Wednesday morning. So it was almost like a two whole day event. And mm -hmm. the first day was fine. I was able to like do what I normally did. And, and we, you know, we went throughout our day, like normal, um, my husband and I did, and you know, nothing, it wasn't a big deal. It was just like, it felt kind of like menstrual cramps, you know, like I could handle it. Um, but it was definitely like regular at regular intervals. And, and, you know, so I figured, Oh, this is it. This is it. And of course mm -hmm. I was excited, you know, like I was like, Oh, I'm going into labor. The baby could come anytime. Like, you know, because I didn't really, you know, you never know with your first one. So, mm -hmm. um, I got excited and I did not really heed the advice of the midwife, which was to try to go to sleep. Um, I tried to go to sleep, but I mean, I didn't really try. I just kind of was like, well, I can't sleep and just got back up and, um, you know, stayed up. Uh, and so mm -hmm. the next day at like 10 in the morning, 11, sometime around there, it started getting, a little more difficult. And this was the part kind of where I just, I, you know, looking back, it's so clear to me how unprepared I was. Like, I just wasn't, <laughs> I was not prepared. I didn't have a game plan for how to handle the discomfort. Um, and then I, on top of that, I didn't have a game plan for like eating and drinking and keeping myself, uh, you know, fueled with energy to get through it. Like, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I knew in my head, Oh, I need to eat stuff and drink stuff. But once it started getting difficult, I couldn't think about anything else other than that. And my husband bless his heart. 
he's not the most intuitive, you, you know, like, I feel like women are a little better about being like, here, you need to drink something or here, make sure you eat something. Mm-hmm. He, nope. He just had, he did not, you know, that did not occur to him at all. He was kind of freaking out too, I guess. And, uh, you know, he called his parents and they, cause I live in town. Um, they came and helped set up the birth pool and all this stuff. And so, <laughs> you know, so I was kind of by myself and I was just not handling the discomfort of the contractions very well at all. Like I, I have to laugh when I look back on it because it's almost comical. Like I was just getting angrier and angrier. Like I kind of, to give a kind of a picture, um, I'm the kind of person, you know, most people, they stub their toe. They, you know, might let out an, an, a shriek or maybe a mild expletive and like it hurts for a second and then they just move on. Like, mm-hmm. but me, I was the type of person I stubbed my toe, let out like the worst expletive you could ever imagine and then be seeming and fuming about it for 10 whole minutes after the fact. Like mm-hmm. I, I would just get so angry at, uh, you know, at pain or, you know, I guess the things that I just don't have control over, you know, and when you have, when you accidentally hurt yourself, that, you know, you, you lose control. And I, I would just have a bad attitude towards that. And I would get so angry so fast and it would let it ruin my day. Um, so that's how I was with, with the contractions was once they started getting more difficult, I started getting angry and like, I was just so irritated that it was painful. And um, I was just, you know, I don't know how anyone tolerated being around me, frankly, during that time, because I must've been just just horrible to be around because I know I was saying stuff like this hurts. I can't do this. This is awful. Like I just kept fixating on how uncomfortable I was. And I think that made it worse. Like I think it amplified my discomfort. And also, you know, it was me kind of losing control and like trying to keep control, you know? So I was kind Mm -hmm. of like tensed up and kind of, um, you know, I was angry and I was like, I will be in control of this, you know, kind of, I think that was my mentality and it definitely did not serve me. Um, and of course, you know, I must have been afraid too. Uh, I do remember the few days before I went into labor, like looking down at my belly and thinking, how is this baby going to come out? <laughs> like, and I remember being kind of afraid, um, you know, at the back of my mind. Like, it wasn't something I thought about too consciously, but I do remember, you know, thinking every now and then, like, oh gosh, how's this going to work? Cause I just didn't know, like, I did not understand how babies come out. Um, mm-hmm. and I didn't re- even though I knew, even though I said, I knew that, oh, this can happen naturally. And, you know, women have had babies naturally for hundreds of thousands of years. So I can too, even though I said all that, I still didn't like know it. Mm-hmm. And so I was still kind of afraid. I mean, I definitely was still, impressed by all the, the, you know, the media conditioning about birth that I've had my whole life, you know, like from the movies and from people. And, uh, so it, I definitely, you know, at that time I hadn't read, uh, what is it? Grant Dickley Grant Reed or Grant. I can't remember his name, but that childbirth without fear, the fear, mm-hmm. tension, pain cycle. I hadn't read about any of that at that time. So I wasn't aware of that. And wasn't very mindful. So I go through that whole day getting very angry and not eating and not drinking. And then on top of all that, I was totally constipated. Um, 
never in my life had I ever experienced constipation before. So mm-hmm. I didn't even know what the word for it was. I just remember telling the midwife, like, I have to poop, but every time I try, nothing happens. And she was like, so you're constipated. And I was like, is that what this is? This is horrible. <laughs> so I was mad about that too. <laughs> like I was just getting angry about everything. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if that prolonged labor, you know, they say the first one's pretty long anyway, but you know, I definitely think it didn't help me. It didn't serve me very well. But so somehow I get through that whole day and it goes into the evening and then we're getting close to midnight. And I'm, you know, I'm literally saying stuff like, I can't do this. I can't do this every time I have a contraction. And the midwife is like, you know, you're not really serving yourself when you say that you can't do this. And I was like, you're right. You know, I was kind of angry, kind of probably snapped at her, but you know, I did recognize that she was right. I needed to at least try to change my attitude. Although I was really in the thick of it. I mean, there really wasn't much to be done at that point, but mm-hmm. I did try to change my words and say, I can, and I will. And I was trying to say that um, I felt self-conscious about vocalizing during contractions too. So, um, I think that that, you know, I was holding back because I felt weird about making noise. Um, Mm. even though I didn't have people in front of me necessarily, like, I mean, my husband was around, my mother-in-law was around, but not even like, she wasn't even really around there. Like we live in the back of my father-in-law's chiropractic clinic. So, Mm. you know, there's an apartment in the back and then the front is the clinic. And that's where my in-laws were, you know, they kind of stayed out of the way, but Mm -hmm. I still just felt weird. I didn't feel comfortable making noise. And so, um, I think that that kind of hindered me as well, but we kind of, we get into the next morning, you know, so it's Wednesday morning and it's like 1 30, 1 45 in the morning and my water finally breaks. And I'm thinking, oh, great. This means the baby's coming because the water just broke. Like, you know, it felt, you know, it was such a, a, a moment of progress. So I, I just assumed that the baby would, would come quickly. You know, like I mm-hmm. felt like, okay, water's breaking. The baby's coming out. It's, it's going to be over soon. Well, it was not over soon. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I was on the bed for like, uh, you know, I was on the bed on all fours and I was facing the wall and, and my husband might've been behind me, you know, rubbing my back or something. And, and, you know, so really nobody was in my, my field of vision. It was dark and, uh, you know, it felt relatively private. And then the midwife, you know, after being there for a little bit, after my water broke, she was like, do you want to like get on the birth stool? And at this point, I was just so like paralyzed by the pain that I wasn't like willfully changing position myself. But if somebody suggested something to me, I would just automatically do it. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, she asked if I wanted to do that. And I was like, whatever, I'll do it. Like, you know, I didn't know or care. I just wanted the baby to come out. So they set up this birth stool and I shifted, you know, I got off the bed and went across the room and got on this birth stool. And I, a couple things happened here, I think. Um, because my, my contractions, it's like, as soon as I got on the birth stool, my contractions just went away. And I I think that happened for a few reasons. Like the first reason is that, you know, I went from being like relative feeling relatively unobserved on the bed. I mean, I know I wasn't unobserved. I know people were in the room, but I, I couldn't see them and they weren't making their presence known to me. So it felt pretty private and unobserved. But then I go to this birth stool and I'm sitting like spread eagle on this thing. And my midwife is plopped on the floor right in front of me. And the backup midwife's right behind her. And I've never met this woman. Like, I don't, she's a total stranger to me. So, 
you know, part of me feels like I went from being kind of unobserved to all of a sudden I have a captive audience. And I, I think that might have tripped me up a little bit. Um, but then also me, I was just so impatient. I was just so ready for this baby to come out that I just started freaking out and started pushing without anything behind it. Like I wasn't having contractions, but I was pushing anyway, because I was just like, I need to get this baby out. This hurts. This is horrible. And I was like screaming at the top of my lungs, like, you know, expletives and, and saying this hurts. And, and, you know, the midwife, bless her heart, she was trying to get me to like, do low moans, you know, loosen up my lips and like open my mouth, you know, open my throat, like that kind of thing to, mm-hmm. you know, cause it mirrors what your cervix is doing. No, nope, I was not having any of it. I was just doing what I was doing, which was like high pitched, tensed screaming and, um, totally not trying to relax at all. Like it, it was just, I don't know how I did that, but I did that for like an hour and, looking back, I just cringe so much thinking about it because it was just not, you know, that that's to me, that is what happens when you go through birth and you wing it without any kind of mental prep at all. Like I really was just not prepared for how to handle the discomfort and for how to get through the day and make sure I have the energy. You know, I didn't eat food. I didn't drink water. I was getting exhausted. Um, but finally, somehow or other, the baby came out and I remember he he came out and he let out like a single cry. And in my head, I thought, oh, he's fine. Like, like, you know, I just had like, oh, good, it's over. Like that, that was really all I thought was like, oh, thank God, I'm done. This is over. My baby's fine. And we, you know, we hobbled over to the bed and um, they propped the bed up because we have one of those like adjustable frames. Um, and we propped the bed up. And I, I remember I could barely hold uh, my son. His name is Corey. I could barely bring him up like nose level with my breasts. Like he had such a short cord mm-hmm. that I couldn't even bring him up all the way. And I don't know if I nursed him or not before my placenta was birthed. I actually can't remember because the placenta came out quite relatively quickly. Like it was probably within 10 minutes and it was one, you know, one contraction and boom, it came out. Um, I remember when I started to feel the contraction, I was like, is this going to hurt? And mm-hmm. the midwives were like, no. And, and yeah, sure enough, they were right. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I knew nothing about it. You know, it didn't occur to me until the moment it was happening that I literally knew nothing about the placenta coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was totally like, I didn't, I had not ever given it any thought prior to the birth. And this wasn't um, a conversation that they hadn't had with you no, before. It wow. Was not. Okay. We, we never talked about it. I know that's what, that's what months later, I would think the same thing. I would go, hmm, <laughs> why did we not talk about this? Um, so, so yeah. So once the placenta came out, um, then the freak out kind of started now okay, if you talk to my husband, he has one version of this story and I have mine and I think mine is more accurate, but that's because, anyway, I'll explain. So he says that the midwife was freaking out because I was bleeding excessively, Mm. but I don't remember her talking about the bleeding at all. Like, I think he just saw me, saw like normal blood loss and freak, you know, I think he just assumed that that's why she was freaking out. But I remember her specifically saying something about my blood pressure and my heart rate. And Mm. I've, I've read their, their rules and regs. Like I've, I've read through their regulations a couple of times. And I know now that, you know, the mom's heart rate is 120 or higher after the baby and everything's born, like she needs to go to the hospital for whatever reason, you know, Mm. I don't really remember why, but that's one of the things that could be 
a reason for transfer after birth. Okay. And so she was talking about that. She was like, your heart rate, you need to go to a hospital. And I was like, I don't want to go to a hospital. <laughs> like, I was just kind of like, whatever. Like, I just really was not answering her with a level of seriousness. Like, I was like, I'm tired. I'm just exhausted. That's all. Like, you know, I was yeah. kind of trying to calm her down because I was exhausted. I was so yeah. exhausted. I mean, I almost probably almost would have been transferred, you know, if the baby hadn't come out when he had, you know, cause I probably would have gotten too exhausted, frankly, you know, hadn't eaten, hadn't sleeping, sleeping, slept, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but so she was freaking out. And then she was, you know, telling me like, okay, can you pee? Can you, can you go pee? And I was like, okay, I'll try. Eh, nothing happened. And I was like, well, I guess I just have to wait a little while. <laughs> like I didn't have the urge to use the bathroom. So I didn't think it was a big deal that I couldn't go. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then she started talking about a catheter and I, I had never, you know, experienced a catheter before. And I was like, a th I was thinking that it would be like so incredibly painful or whatever. And so I didn't want to do it and yeah. I resisted it. Um, and she, you know, told my husband to, to call his mom. Cause like my in-laws had left a few hours before, cause it was late. Um, but my mother-in-law is a nurse practitioner. So mm. she was like, can you call your mom and like have her come back? Cause I, I think the other midwife had to go for some reason. Like, I don't remember why the other midwife left. I'm, I guess she had another birth or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, um, so his mom came back and she, you know, looked at me like, cause the midwife was looking at me and I guess she was freaking out. And, um, you know, when my mother-in-law came, she looked at me and she put the catheter in and then I used the bathroom. And then after that, everything was fine. Like everything regulated back out. Like my blood pressure went back to normal. My heart rate was back to normal. Mm. Uh, so I just needed to pee. That's really yeah. all it was. And, you know, while on the one hand, I, I was, you know, I understand the midwife was trying to maybe respect my wishes. Cause I was like, no, I don't want a catheter. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, we established like two or three times that I couldn't pee. Like mm -hmm. I tried to go like two or three times and it didn't work. So she should have just, I don't know, maybe explained better that I probably needed to go to the bathroom. And that's probably why my vitals were weird. But you know, that conversation never happened. And I honestly think to this day, if my mother-in-law had not been a nurse and had not been present, I probably would have gone to the hospital mm -hmm. and which would have totally sucked. Like I've never been hospitalized. I don't want to ever go to the hospital. Like that would totally have not been what I wanted at all. Um, and, you know, I think it was just luck that, you know, my mother-in-law just happens to have, you know, the, the training and stuff. Cause she, she, you know, looked at me and no problem was like, yeah, let me put this catheter in. Like she put the catheter in, I'm pretty sure. Um, and then she helped the midwife figure out, you know, oh yeah, there's a tear here. So you suture that like, you know, I tore like twice, I think, and I needed like two stitches. So, I mean, I guess, I don't even know, you know, and to this day, I don't know what it looked like. I never got to look at it. Um, the midwife was like, oh, I tell, I tell my people not to look at it for at least a week. Cause you know, I said, oh, I don't want to see it. You know, I mean, I was kind of weirded out by the possibility of what I looked like down there after, you know, with the pain I was in and everything. Um, but it was just really weird, you know? So I don't even know if I needed the suturing, frankly, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, if it was minimal enough that she could suture it, you know, then is it, was it even really necessary that I needed it? I don't know. Cause I never got to look at it. Um, uh, but yeah, so if my mother-in-law hadn't been there, I don't know what would have happened, but once I used the bathroom, everything was fine and I nursed the baby and you know, it was all good. Um, well, nursing wasn't nursing was difficult for like a week. 
but his lash got better after like the first week. And, um, but yeah, so, so at the time I was satisfied with that. I didn't have any issues with, you know, I looked at my birth story and was like, oh, this was a good birth. You know, like I didn't, I didn't really think too hard about anything. Um, and around this time I had also discovered the indie birth, um, taking back birth podcast that mm. Marin does. And I was starting to listen to a lot of, uh, you, you know, a lot of the episodes and was being introduced to some ideas that, you know, previously I had thought were kind of crazy. Like, you know, I thought it would be crazy for someone to have a baby without a midwife there, you know, like, like that was like a totally huge, crazy idea to me at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I just started learning, you know, uh, cause I was still kind of obsessed with birth. And of course I was like, all right, I, I can't wait for when I get pregnant again. Like, you know, I was very much like, I'm going to have lots of babies. And, uh, you know, I was, while I was enjoying my son, I was also looking to the future and was like, Oh, I can't wait for when I get pregnant again. And, um, and so I was always learning about birth and I was reading books and, and, uh, you know, listening to those podcasts and, and then it was probably about six months postpartum where I started to kind of look back and started to kind of see how things really weren't as, as good as it could have been, I guess. Um, and, you know, admittedly, like for a while, like, I'm not gonna lie, I played the like blame the midwife game. And like, I put a lot of blame on her for like how things went, you know, like with, with me not having a game plan for how to manage the pain you know I was like oh it's her fault for not you know talking to me thoroughly and making sure that I know um and then it's her fault for putting me on the birth stool and making me tear and you know make you know I kind of went through that for a few months almost to a point where I was like if if I get pregnant again I don't think I I should have a midwife at all like I was Mm -hmm. kind of in this really like I went from one end to the other like really fast was like Mm -hmm. okay if if I can't trust if I, if I can't trust her, I can't trust anybody. And, um, you know, and maybe that was not very fair. Um, I, you know, I never talked to her about it. So, you know, that's definitely, you know, I never gave her a chance to, you know, defend her actions or explain where she was coming from, Mm -hmm. but the real freaking out after the placenta was born, like, I mean, that really was traumatic for me. Like, because, you know, I mean, this was like a couple hours after birth, like, you know, it was very stressful. It was like a high tense situation. And, you know, I mean, by, by the time she left, like four or five, six hours later, you know, she was snapping at my husband and me, like, you know, oh, wow. I mean, she, she was tired. I think she had come off another birth before coming to mine. Oh or yeah. Something. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so I mean, there was a lot going on, but mm-hmm. for a while, you know, when I was about six, seven, eight months postpartum, I was kind of like, you know, that was really traumatic for me. Like that really wasn't that great. You know, I kind of had to like come to terms with like, you know, that really wasn't what I expected it to be. And it kind of, kind of wasn't that great. Um, although, you know, at the same time, when I use the word traumatic, I'm kind of like, I feel weird about using that word because I know that, you know, birth trauma can be way more extreme than that. You you know, Mm -hmm. that was kind of, you know, comparatively, I, I've had an okay experience and I shouldn't really complain. And, and that's not, I don't feel like I'm complaining, but at the time I felt really conflicted about feeling like it was traumatic because I knew that it could have been worse and it wasn't, but it was just, you know, I had to process this and it took me many months to like process what all happened. And then I, you know, I, I joined that 13 moons course and started really learning about 
the physiology, physiology, the physiologic birth and everything, uh, you know, things that before I didn't really know. And mm -hmm. I realized that, you know, I was quite fearful going into going into that birth with my son. Um, and it had a big effect on everything. And it was that fear that also, you know, led itself to the mindset of like, oh, I need my midwife here to, to save me. Like, you know, that was the mindset I was operating under. And so I was really working through that and was trying to really, you know, uh, process everything and get to a point to where I, you know, I didn't want to be dependent on someone else. Like I wanted to, to have full faith in, in my body and, and my ability to do it. And I didn't want to outsource that faith to someone else, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so this, you know, this was a couple months of processing and everything. And, and then come to find out nine months postpartum, almost on the dot, I, I got pregnant again. Wow. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't have a period. Um, but I, you know, I ended up taking a, well, actually I took an ovulation test and it was positive and I was like, well, that's weird. And then I did one the next day and it was still positive. And then the next day it was still positive. And I was like, okay. And then I read that, you know, an ovulation test might test positive, uh, like if you're pregnant. And so, mm. I, you know, I went and got an actual pregnancy test. Um, so anyway, so, you know, we found out I was pregnant again and and I, you know, this time I was like, you know, I, I want to be in tune with my body. And like, I want to just, and, and, you know, I knew I was pregnant a few weeks before I actually tested for it because I noticed that my, um, when I, when I was pregnant with my son at some point during the pregnancy, cause I was moving out of my grandma's house to my husband's house. Like I picked up a box that was probably too heavy. Shouldn't have done that. But I, I, I noticed that I kind of had like this, um, you know, what I think is now, I think it's the diastasis recti, mm. um, kind of the split, you know, and I noticed mm. that if I like leaned back, my stomach would like kind of make a weird pointy, like, I mean, it just looked really weird. And I noticed that when I was pregnant with my son about mm. five months on, you know, and that was around yeah. the time I lifted a heavy box. I shouldn't have done that, but, um, I noticed that and it, it went away after I had him. Like I didn't ever notice that after after he was born okay. and so it just, I guess it resolved on its own. Mm -hmm. But then at, in, at the beginning of March in 2021, I remember leaning back to lay back in the bath and I noticed my stomach looked weird. And I was like, it hasn't looked like that since I was pregnant. And, and so I noticed that, but I didn't really think much about it. Um, you know, obviously until a few weeks later, I was like, holy crap, like that, you know, I was pregnant at that time. It's like my body already was like getting in that back in pregnancy mode, you know, like my mm -hmm. body remembered and was getting back to that separation, you know, so I kind of had this weird umbilical hernia thing for, you know, the whole first trimester, like, you know, it was very mm. noticeable the first trimester, because I didn't have a baby bump to like fill it out. Yeah. Um, and so, so anyway, and plus I was so moody, I was so angry about random things all through March. Um, and that, that's what kind of clued me in. I was like, well, you know what, I think this must be a girl because with my son, I never had mood swings. And my, my dad, you know, my, my parents had two boys and two girls. And so my okay. dad looked like when I was pregnant with my son, he was like, oh, I knew you were having a boy because I could be around you. <laughs> like, because he said my mother. Oh my God. <laughs> he said my mom, when she was pregnant with those girls, she was just like, you know, angry, screaming, then crying, happy. Then, you know, like, um, so 
So when I started acting like that, I was like, no, maybe this is a girl. And, and I kind of got married to that idea. Like I was like, I picked out her name and everything, um, you know, before we actually knew what the sex was. Um, Mm -hmm. And we, we did that little blood draw thing uh, where you draw your blood at like nine weeks or whatever, and you send it to some lab and they, mm-hmm. they separate out the fetal DNA and they can tell if it's a boy or not. Yeah. Um, so that, so we did that again with, with her and sure enough, it was a girl. Um, but yeah, so we, you know, this time I was like, not even in a hurry to talk about whether or not we want to hire a midwife because I was kind of in this mindset of like, I want to do it unassisted. I want to do this. Like I want us to do this on our own. My husband was a little weirded out by that idea to be fair. Like, like as, as cool as he is with home birth, mm-hmm. he still is kind of in that. Well, you know, it's good to have someone there in case something happens like that's still kind of his mindset mm-hmm. about it. Um, you know, as much as I hate to admit that that's kind of his, where he's at. So I just didn't talk about a midwife for as long as I could, you know, we went, it's, it's such a contrast because the first time I was like, okay, we need to find a midwife, like right away, even though we weren't going to see her until like nine or 10 weeks at the earliest, but we, you know, we hired a midwife really, really quickly. This time I was like, yeah, let's just wait. Yeah. You know, maybe he'll change his mind. Maybe he'll be more open to unassisted well, he wasn't, you know, and by the time I got to like 10, 11, 12 weeks along, he was like, well, do we need to like hire a midwife? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. Um, and, you know, and of course I, you know, looking back, I don't know why I was not more, uh, true to what I wanted. Um, but I didn't, I felt like it would be awkward if we didn't hire the same midwife that we had before as, as stupid as that sounds now. Like, I mean, Cause we were kind of friends with her, I guess. Like, you know, she was friends with my husband on Facebook. So she like could see our, you know, if we updated anything, you know, she could kind of see what was going on in our life. And like, it would have felt kind of awkward to like, I guess, you know, not hire her or treat her as if I hadn't hired her before. I guess mm-hmm. that, that makes sense. Like, so I didn't, you know, vet her with like 20 questions or whatever. I didn't, you know, have a consult because we had already hired her before and it was like well let's just hire her again um and i wish i had you know you'll see why i I should have done that but so we we met up and i told her that i didn't want to use the doppler this time i wanted to use the fetoscope and i told her that i didn't want to have an ultrasound but i i you know i told her i was like i know when my conception was because i was charting and i can kind of see where my temperature shift was like so Mm -hmm. I'm, i'm pretty sure i know when i conceived even though i didn't have a period And she was like a little weird about that. Like when I told her, oh, I don't want to have an ultrasound. And she was like, but how do you know your due date? Like, you know, and I was like, I I told you I'm charting. Like I I know because I could see where the temperature shift happened. I've got it pinpointed down to like, you know, at least a four day, three day window. And, you know, I picked a day, but I mean, that was the window. Mm -hmm. And she was kind of like, oh, okay. You know, she was, she seemed a little weird about it, but she didn't press me on the issue. Um, and I, at our first meeting, you know, she whipped that Doppler out so fast and started putting that stuff on my belly. I, I just felt like I couldn't say anything, which is so silly. I should have just been like, Hey, what are you doing? I want to use the fuscope, but I don't mm-hmm. know. I felt so weird. Like I was just like, okay. And I just kind of let her do it. And then after the fact, I told her, I was like, yeah, you know, from here on out, I kind of want to just use the fetoscope. And she was like, oh my gosh, you told me that. And I totally forgot. And I was like, yeah, you did forget, but that's okay. 
And I, I remember asking her about, uh, you know, do I have to do the gestational diabetes screening? Because by this time, I actually knew what the rules were. Like I had read through the regulations like two or three times. Mm -hmm. So I was actually aware of what, you know, I mean, from what I could tell, I didn't have to do that. Um, but it didn't say it clearly in the regulations. So I wanted to kind of get to clarification, I guess. Um, and she was like, oh, no, yeah, you don't have to do it. But I would like to know if you had gestational diabetes. <laughs> I just couldn't believe she said that to me. Like, I was just kind of like, okay. Um, you know, so it, it felt like when I tried to kind of talk to her about like, oh, I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. Like, I kind of want to just not do anything if I can, you know, if it's allowed. Mm -hmm. She kind of would, like, she wasn't overtly pushing back against that. But she, you know, I could tell it was making her uncomfortable. And that discomfort kind of shown through with, with her responses, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, and, you know, I walked away from these, I think we had that prenatal and, you know, I told my husband, I was like, Oh, I don't really like this, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, Oh, you're just being overdramatic. You know, you know, he kind of shrugged it off, but I was like, no, I really don't like this. But then we had our second prenatal. And this was actually after I'd gone to the 12 week risk assessment, at the dang health department. Um, you'll see why I say dang in front of health department, because <laughs> they like, I, you know, looking back, I should have just lied. I should have told them what my last menstrual period was with a date that corresponded with my conception date and, and just let it be because I made the mistake of telling them, Oh, I, cause he asked me, when was your last menstrual period? And I was like, Oh, August of 2019, like mm. taking, making a joke. And he looked at me and was like, what? And I was like, I didn't have a period before I got pregnant this time. And, you know, this nurse guy, I guess he had never heard that that could even happen. And he was like <laughs> freaking out. And then he, you know, talked to the, the main uh, nurse lady who was supposed to, you know, do all the exams and stuff with me. And she was freaking out. Like everybody was freaking oh, out. Man. <laughs> and the nurse practitioner lady, you know, she comes to me and she goes, okay, so I know you say you have a conception date. But we need an ultrasound. <laughs> That's what she just straight up told me. She's like, we need an ultrasound. And, you know, I was just like polite and nice. And I was like, okay. And I let her schedule me one with the hospital. And then when I got home, I told James what happened. And I kind of felt defeated. And he was like, just call the hospital and cancel it. And I was like, you can do that. And he's like, I do that all the time. Like, you know, he's been in and out of the hospital system with being a cancer patient and everything. And he... <laughs> He has such a lax attitude, like he does not have any respect for the hospital at all. Mm. Um, you know, and I was kind of like, oh, I, I can do that. And he was like, yeah, just cancel it. I do that all the time. Um, you know, he's like, if you don't want to do it, you shouldn't have to do it. And so I called them and I canceled it. And then the health department called me and was like, oh my gosh, you canceled your appointment. Are you okay? And I was just like, oh, I'm going to go get my ultrasound at whatever keepsake place, you know? And they were like, oh, okay. And, you know, that was a lie. I wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, right. And I finally just told the midwife, I was like, look, can you like get the health department off my back? I already signed the paperwork, declining the anatomy scan, like, because that's what I did. I did sign paperwork with them saying, oh, I'm declining the anatomy scan. Like, that's the only one they want you to get. But yeah. since I didn't have an LMP, they wanted me to get a dating scan. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, I was just like, I don't want to do that. I know when my due date is. And yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> and so I kind of went off and like sent her this like novel text and was like, look, can you like get them off my back? Right. I'm, I'm not doing this. And she was like, okay. You know, so to, to her credit, she didn't push me on the ultrasound after that. because This is the first, out. this is the first story I've ever recorded where I've, I've never really un, like, I've never heard of the, like, uh, like a County's health department being this involved in prenatal care yeah like that's crazy to me with with home birth in Arkansas like the rules for the licensed midwife is that the the home birth clients have to go to either like a doctor or Mm -hmm. a um CNM like a CNM now can do it that's a new that's a new thing Um, okay and then and you know but most of the home birth people go to the health department because it's easier I guess or more affordable I I don't really remember why I know I I had only ever received gynecological care period at a health department like when I was in college that's where I went to go get my birth control because it was easy and so I didn't actually I didn't even have a doctor but I guess if I had like a regular doctor maybe I would have I don't know but from what I understand most of the home birth ladies do just go to the health department like wow seems to be pretty normal like around here um, and in some counties, uh, the health department's a lot more friendly, uh, than, than mine, but, um, so anyway, uh, she, you know, to the midwife's credit, she didn't press me on the ultrasound after that, because I kind of blew up on her about the health department, <laughs> like, and so I guess she talked to them and, and told them to back off or whatever. Um, but so we had our next prenatal appointment with her and I took my mother-in-law cause I brought my son and. Um, I usually have my mother-in-law to kind of hold my boy while I'm doing all the, all the stuff. And, and the conversation somehow got onto the COVID vaccine and the midwife was kind of expressing shock at the fact that she's had potential clients turn her down because she was vaccinated. And me and my mother-in-law like looked at each other when she said this and we were like, oh, really? Like, <laughs> you know, I I had made, you know, erroneously so, I shouldn't have made this assumption, but I assumed that this midwife who, you know, 20 years ago when she was having her kids didn't do vaccinations at all. Mm. I assumed that she would not, I I didn't even think it was an issue. Like I I wanted to ask her before we hired her, but then I talked myself out of it and was like, oh, no, no, no. Why would she even get the vaccine? It doesn't make any sense. Like she probably doesn't have it. So you should just avoid the the uncomfortable feeling of bringing it up. And, you know, because it's so uncomfortable talking about that with people, especially if they don't have your point of view. It's like, you kind of have to feel the room first before Mm. you Mm-hmm. give your honest opinion about it. At least that's how it's been for me. Yeah, and, totally. You know, uh, so that was really surprising to me. And, you know, and I looked at her and I was like, well, I was like, so, so you got the vaccine and she was like, oh, well, you know, I wasn't going to get it originally, but then I knew someone whose client was 30 some odd weeks pregnant and got COVID and went into preterm labor and the baby was in the NICU for like months. And I just thought, I have to protect my clients. So I got the vaccine. And, and when she told me the story, I just couldn't believe it because this was like April, May, this was May. I think this was May, maybe June. So it was early summer. And I think around this time in 2021, the only people talking about the fact that the vaccine did not stop transmission was like, you know, alternative media. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think the mainstream media was really airing that fact very, mm-hmm. very clearly at that time. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I looked at her and I was, I was just like, 
you, well, you know, it doesn't stop transmission. And she just kind of gave me this like look and was like, okay. And like, just moved on, you know, like I, you know, that cognitive dissonance look of like, she didn't know that, you know, and mm -hmm. me telling her that was obviously throwing her for a loop. Um, and maybe she, you know, just, I don't know what she thought when I said that, but I mean, I told her, I was like, you know, it doesn't stop transmission though. Like, you know, you could still get COVID and right. someone. Um, so I was, when I, when I left that meeting, um, I was like really shocked. And I mean, I talked to my mother-in-law about it because my mother-in-law, you know, even though she's like a nurse, like she's, you know, she didn't get the COVID vaccine. She actually quit her job because they were mandating it. Um, you know, so me and my family, luckily we're all kind of on the same page. And I told her, I was like, I'm not comfortable with this. Like, I, I don't really even know why, like, I, I just, you know, and some people might be like, oh, well, the vaccine doesn't shed, so you shouldn't be uncomfortable. And that really wasn't my issue, even though I was aware of the speculation regarding shedding of the spike protein. I think that was mm -hmm. the issue that was the buzz back then about, you know, what, what do we know or don't know about this vaccine? Mm -hmm. And um, I just, you know, I finally sorted out what it was that bothered me about it. And what bothered me about it was the fact that her story, the reason she got this thing was because she was afraid. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't informed like she, you know, like, you know, if someone feeds you this like fearful anecdote, you can either like respond in fear or you can like go and find all the information you can and try to make an informed decision. Mm -hmm. And she didn't do that. I mean, she plainly admitted to me, like I had to protect my clients. Like, you know, so clearly it was the fear of like making someone sick is what made her put this experimental thing in her body. Like, mm -hmm. and it's like, if you're going to be like that with your own body, and with your own self, then what's that, what's to stop the fear from motivating you with me and my birth and what's going to happen to my baby, you know, like, mm -hmm. and it kind of made me look back at the birth of my son in a whole new light. And I realized that, you know, there was a lot of fear in the room, um, you know, especially after the baby was born, like, you know, and I think Marin said it once on one of her podcasts was like, after the baby comes out, there's a bunch of fear, you know, because everyone's worried about, you know, hemorrhage or whatever. Right. Um, and, and the, the, the energy shifts in the room. And that's what happened. That's certainly what happened um, after my son was born. And I, I really couldn't quite, I never have, was able to put my finger on it exactly until that moment of like clarity when I realized like, oh, wow, you know, like she was afraid of, of getting COVID and giving it to a client. So she went and got this vaccine mm -hmm. and, you know, fear is what's motivating her right now. And that also explains why she kind of, you know, bought into it all when it first started was, you know, like when we joked about, Oh, you can take your mask off. She was like, she didn't think that was a funny joke. You know, like mm -hmm. she was like, this is serious. We don't know about this virus. Like if I had a dollar for every time someone said, well, we don't know, we just don't know about this mm -hmm. virus. Like mm -hmm. that's what people would say to me with the mask wearing and everything. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I knew after that meeting, I was like, I have to, I have to find someone different. Like I can't, I can't do this. Like this, this is just bothering. Like there's all these little things. And then this is like, kind of like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. So I sought out someone else. Amazingly, there was another woman in town who she was actually kind of semi-retired. Um, so she didn't do, she didn't do that many home births anymore, but she, you know, she would still do one if she was going to be, you know, here and able. And I met with her and she was like, yeah, you know, we can, we can do this. She's older. She's like 70 years old, you know, kind of like more, more closer to my grandmother's age. Um, but like just this wise old chill woman. Like, I mean, I really just, 
I was just so happy with her. Like I, you know, mm. I went to my prenatals all by myself. Um, I was completely like, I knew what I wanted and I was comfortable telling her what I wanted and she was comfortable going, okay. Like now if I wanted her opinion on something, she'd happily give it. And she was mm -hmm. very informed about the pros and cons of everything. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like she was just, you know, uh, reckless. Like she, I, I wouldn't say that at all. She was very, she just was aware of how I was now, granted, I kind of showed, I kind of told her, this is what I am. Uh, you know, I don't even think I need a midwife, but uh, I'm going to hire a midwife anyway. And I want to do things my way and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, I kind of was more forward with her at the beginning than I was with the other midwife. And maybe I should have been that way with the other midwife. I don't know. You know, I can't go back in time and change things, but she, you know, she understood where I was coming from. She had actually had like, she had five kids and three of them, I think were born unassisted back in the seventies. So she totally, you know, was chill with like me being, being the one calling the shots and she was not uncomfortable with it at all. And we ended up becoming friends. Like I was, I was actually really surprised by that because I didn't expect to like be so friendly with this person by the end of my pregnancy, but like our prenatals would go so long because we would just be talking. Like, I mean, it, it was really great. Like, especially in this COVID time, you know, making a new friend who is like-minded is really, really valuable. Like I, mm -hmm. you know, that's the only good thing about COVID is that I feel like it has sorted out the people that I want to know from the people that I don't want to know. Like it, it really has made it easy to kind of navigate who's worth having around versus who's really not, um, for me anyway, but mm -hmm. sorry, I'm trying to, I'm seeing the time. So I'm trying to like, no, you're, you're story. good. You're totally okay. good. Okay. Um, so I, you know, I was totally different this pregnancy. Like I didn't bring my husband to any of the prenatals because he was kind of asleep during the day. So he really wasn't even around to go, but I didn't feel like I needed him there. Like the, with the first pregnancy, I was like, Oh, I need my husband here and we've got to meet the midwife. Like I, I was just doing it on my own. I was like, this is my thing. This is what I'm going to do. Like, mm -hmm. I don't need my husband. You know, I love my right. husband. But of course, I'm the one birth in this baby, not him. And I was just totally chill with going to all the prenatals by myself. Um, and at our 36 week, uh, 36 week mark, my midwife was out of state and she asked me to go and have a prenatal with the backup midwife, the one who would be with her at the birth so I could meet her. Um, and she lived in a different county. And so I actually went down to see her and I got my risk assessment done in a different county health unit because they were a lot more home birth friendly down there than mine. And I didn't want to go back to mine since mine was, you know, I had that bad experience that first time. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was really great. I just traveled, you know, down to where this lady lived and met her. And she was also, you know, she was like 69 years old, really chill, really cool. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I talked to her about, you know, I was like, so what do you think about before and after licensure in Arkansas? Like, was it better back in the day? And she's like, oh yeah. Like, you know, she, it was pretty cool to talk to her. Um, so I was just really excited. I was like, man, I really like these midwives are so cool. Like, and we're all on the same page. Like, I don't feel like I have to hide anything from them. Um, and, uh, you know, so the, the birth time creeps forward. So my due date that I had figured out was Monday, November 22nd, but I actually didn't, um, I didn't go into labor till after that. Um, the baby was actually born on the 26th. And so she's actually three months old today. Um, mm. 
<laughs> yeah, no, they grow so fast. Um, so fast. <laughs> <laughs> but so the Thursday, so my due date was on Monday and the Thursday before I woke up at 5 a.m. and was having like contractions, like every like 20, 25 minutes on the dot. And this is how my first labor started. So I let this happen for about two and a half hours. And then I texted the midwife and was like, you know, I think this might be happening. And she was like, okay, well just, you know, let's just see what happens. No, no worries. Just try to go about your day as normal. You know, don't, don't freak out or anything. Um, and I was like, yeah, that sounds good. Well, you know, I made the mistake of like telling people, uh, like I told my mother, because I, I wanted my mom to be here uh, for some reason. Uh, she was out of state when I had my son. So her being here wasn't an option. But now my parents live back here in Arkansas. And so I had told my mom, oh, I want you to be here. Mostly because I just wanted her to see my baby be born. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I don't really, you know, I hadn't at that point, I had not listened to Marin's like particularly uh, poignant podcast about having your mother present at birth. Um, <laughs> and I should have listened to it before then, but uh, <laughs> you know, I told my mom like later, like that morning, I was like, I think it's starting today, blah, blah. And she had to finish up school because she's a professor at university. And um, she called me that afternoon and was like, do you want me to like come down tonight? And I was like, yeah, you, you might want to, I don't know how long this will take, but you, you know, it'd be good for you to be here. So whenever it starts, you can just come to my house. And because um, she was going to stay with my grandma who lives about five minutes away from me. Um, so she comes down and I swear, like, it's like, as soon as I had that phone call with her, everything just like stopped. And I thought, oh, well, it stopped mm. because my son's here or, oh, because I'm doing doing xyz or oh like you know i came up with an excuse for why it quit every single you know all throughout the day but looking mm -hmm. back to me it is so obvious like it stopped because like my mother was on her way like and i and mom if you're listening i'm sorry it, i hope you don't take this the wrong way and i don't think she will because frankly she you know as she confessed to me later she was uncomfortable with the idea of being here anyway um <laughs> but so the days go by like friday goes by saturday goes by sunday goes by monday you know my due date arrives and my mom is just like blowing up my phone like so is anything happening like every couple hours and no, I'm like, mom, man. Like, like if something's happening i'll tell you and by you know monday was my due date so that day comes and goes and it's tuesday and my mom like i was at this point i was kind of like you know maybe I don't want my mom to be here because maybe I don't, don't really want anyone to be here. Like I, you know, I, I just kind of need to do this on my own and it's a nice idea, but maybe it's not a good idea. And right as I was having that thought, my mom called me and was like, you know, I really miss your dad. And I kind of just want to go back home. Cause I feel like I'm, I'm in everyone's way here. Cause she's staying with my grandma, you know, and um, she just felt really uncomfortable being, being here. And so I was like, yeah, go back home. And she's like, I know you wanted me to be at the birth. I'm like, no, you know, that really wasn't, it was a nice idea, but I think it was just an idea, probably not the reality. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, that was fine. Like, so she went back up home on like Tuesday night or Wednesday or whatever. You know, I don't really remember what day she went back up, but it's like, I went into labor right on Thanksgiving. So Thursday morning, it started back up and it didn't stop this time. And even though like I went out to my in-laws and spent a little time there because they had my son with them. And then I took my son over to my grandma's to see my family. Like my mom and my dad had come back down and my siblings were there. I, you know, 
it didn't stop like it slowed down a little bit like it spread out you know there's more time between contractions but nothing ever stopped even though i was out running around for thanksgiving when i got back home around like two three o'clock in the afternoon it started up like closer together and like really it really just started so it's like i think the peace that i had with knowing that nobody was gonna be there i think that's i, I mean i know i might be just crazy it might just be coincidental but when I listened to that podcast, Marin did, you know, she said that she's literally witnessed a mom coming into the house and labor stopping. And, and, you know, so I wondered mm -hmm. if that was maybe what happened to me. It's like, you know, I was about to go into labor and then my mom was on her way <laughs> and like maybe <laughs> my body was just like, nope. Cause I also wanted my son to be there, but you know, I quickly realized, oh, no, I can't do this when he's around. Like, yeah, he was about 18 months old, you know, just he just learned to walk a few months before. And it's like my body knows that, like, no, nope, you can't focus on this when you have your little one around you. <laughs> so, yeah, totally. So my mother-in-law's job was to take him back to her house. And that, you know, worked out really great. But so I was in labor all through Thanksgiving and I was really chill about it. And I made sure to take lots of naps and I was eating, you know, I had, I had already had like easy to eat food and smoothies and stuff prepped like in my fridge. Like I already had everything like ready. I was like, I'm going to make sure I, you know, have this, this stuff to eat and this stuff to drink. So that way I have energy to get through this. Cause I don't know how many days this is going to be. Mm -hmm. And I was like totally prepared. And I took lots of naps. I slept any minute that I could. Cause I was like, you know, this is just the beginning. I'm mm -hmm. going to need every bit of energy that I can, you know, I had such a different perspective this time, which makes sense. You know, I've been through it once before. Of course. Um, and, uh, I, <laughs> I had recently read that, um, Oh gosh, I think, yeah, Ina May's Guide to Childbirth, I think, and the birth story section in that book, one of her stories was about, a client she had who was a professional vocalist and you know when her baby was like almost out you know she asked the lady to sing and it helped loosen her cervix and the baby came out mm -hmm. and I had thought about that and was just like maybe I should like sing through the contractions to like get me through it and to keep everything loose and open like it was kind of a weird thought and I literally just had it that day like I didn't really plan on doing that um but sure enough, like <laughs> I was able to, to sing my uh, college alma mater because it's like, <laughs> so I have it memorized for one because I was in the band, we, we all memorized the alma mater like freshman year, you know, so it's a song that I know. And it's also like a lower, like it doesn't go too high. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's all low tones. And the first word of it is breathe. So it's like the perfect, like it really, like every time I would have a contraction, I would be like, breathe, like I would start singing this song and I felt ridiculous doing it. So I, you know, I, I wasn't around my husband and anytime he came around, I was like, go away. Like, I can't do this in front of you. Like, even though I could sing in front of him and I know he didn't think it was weird, I still felt a little self-conscious about it. So I was like, you need to just leave the room. I need to be completely alone. And that's what I did. Like I literally just sang through my college alma mater every time I had a contraction. And I did that up until it got to a point to where it was just too difficult to sing through the phrase. Like, you know, like that, I, I managed to do it all the way up until, you know, the last like 
two hours or so of labor. So my midwife, you know, I've been talking to her throughout the day. Um, she came over around like eight o'clock that evening just to kind of check me because I had asked her to. Um, and she was like, oh yeah, you know, you're at like, you're at like three, but honestly, you're kind of like, it's stretchy to four or whatever. You know, she's like, your cervix is really loose and everything. It's all great and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And I think that's the only cervical check I had. You know, I, I didn't, I, I love how she didn't really care about doing it, but you know, she would do it if I asked her to. Um, but so she went back home uh, because we were just like, well, it's just, you know, mild, blah, blah, blah. And I thought it was going to take me like two days, like it did the first time. Um, mm -hmm. But but I also was like, well, you know, but it could happen tonight too. Like, you know, I was kind of going back and forth. I just didn't know. And the other midwife happened to live like an hour away or so. So, you know, she was trying to time it to, to you know, get her to come at the right time, but not to come and it not happen for a whole nother day because, uh like the other midwife's husband was in hospice or something. And so, you know, so there was this, we were just playing this like kind of communication game and like trying to time it right. But around 10 o'clock, um, you know, I get into the bath because uh, my midwife and I were thinking, well, maybe this will, this will either get it started going good, or it will relax me enough to where I can go to sleep and like, you know, get through, you know, get some rest. Mm -hmm. So we were, we were like 50, 50, it'll go either way. Um, so I get in the bath and it definitely did not slow down. It started getting really intense. Um, and I, I was, you know, I was like trying to sing and it was starting to get a little shaky. Like I was like, okay, I'm not really getting through this anymore. Like I'm, I'm going to have to figure out something else. Um, and I didn't even know how I would get out of the bath. Frankly, I was like, this is really hard to handle here. What am I going to do when I get out of the water? But I ended up getting out of the bath because I had to go to the bathroom, like had to poop. So which that was another great thing is that I put, I had like three bowel movements. So I was definitely not constipated. Um, I was so pleased with that. I was like, Oh, I'm so glad I'm not constipated this time. Um, and I ended up getting out of the bath to go to the toilet. And it was literally like, I get out of the bath, take two steps, have another contraction on the toilet. And then I'm like sitting there and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go down the hall and go back to the back of the house. Cause I was in the bathroom in the front of the clinic. Cause it's like an old 1930s, bath and so the bathtub is huge it's like this giant porcelain um old style tub and I knew I could labor in there and but I wanted to go back to my bedroom at the back of the house in the in the apartment well I did not make it that far I ended up like plopping on the floor in the hallway outside the bathroom and had another contraction and then I just you know crawled into the the office uh where the chiropractic tables are because that's where we had like an old mattress set up um, for in case I wanted to labor in there. You know, we just kind of had all these options around. Um, so I ended up crawling onto that mattress and that's where I stayed. And so the midwife, you know, it was getting really intense and I was like, she needs to come here now. Like, you know, I told James, my husband, I was like, get the midwife here. Cause I, I think it's happening. And this was around like midnight, like maybe 12, 15. Um, and she, she arrived and, you know, she did all her things. And she said, the other midwife's come in, she's on her way. And, um, I had my, I had one friend from church that this girl that I had really only met a few months before, but she was, you know, young, she was like 20 years old. She was like really interested in birth. Like she was in nursing school, but she like already knew a lot about childbirth. And she was like, you know, they, what they do in the hospital is not right. And, 
you know, when I've had a conversation with her, she was like, are you eating dates? Like, you know, mm -hmm. she just knew all this random stuff. And I, I just had like a, a random idea. It was like, you know, do you want to come to the birth? Like, do you want to see the baby reborn? And like, I know that sounds kind of strange, but I just don't know that many people in real life who are interested in birth. Like most mm -hmm. of the girlfriends I have, like they respect my decision to have a home birth, but you know, they wouldn't do it. Yeah. And you know, like mm -hmm. they, they probably think I'm crazy. And you know, they certainly don't know that much about pregnancy and childbirth, even if they've had two or three kids, like they, they just kind of go through the motions. And so I wouldn't invite them because I know that they would be afraid, but this girl, I just had a feeling about her. It was like, you know, I don't know you very well, but I can tell that we're like kindred spirits here. So I just kind of took a chance and was like, I just invited her to, to my birth. And so, you know, I had, uh, the midwife was like, you might want to tell your friend if she wants to come, she might need to come now. Cause she lived about 20 minutes away from me. So I had James call her and get her on the way. Oh, sorry. My voice is like going out cause I'm talking so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, even though I usually talk a lot, but anyway, so we're almost at the end here. So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I remember that I had like my water broke and I think they said it was about 1:10 in the morning. And so this was Friday morning, November, November 26th. And I remember I had like, I want to say I had two big contractions, like, and I only pushed during the contractions this time I resisted the urge to, to just push, push, push. I, I tried to control myself and not push when I didn't have the contraction and I had two big contractions where I pushed and then on the third one the baby came out and from what the midwife told me because she was behind me like she was you know right behind me just watching I was like on all fours and I remember at one point when the midwife got up to go get something I was like no 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 get back here get back. like you know I like told her get back here I need you back here because this is like the hardest part um uh she she told me that the baby all came out all in one, one fell swoop, like her head, her body, everything, <clears throat> excuse me. And her left hand was actually up by her face mm. uh, when, when she was born. And, you know, the midwife said, that's, that's why you were feeling some, some back labor. Like apparently her elbow was in a weird spot. And I, I was, you know, I was, I was definitely having some back labor. I mean, I didn't know what it was called at the time, but, mm -hmm. um, it was definitely different from my son. And uh, when, when this baby was born, like she was pretty small, like my son was eight pounds on the dot, but my daughter, she was about six pounds and nine ounces. And, and I knew she would be kind of small because that's kind of, I was in the six pound range. My mother was in the six pound range. Like, you know, it's, it's, I expected her to be about the same size as me and my mom were when we were babies. Um, mm -hmm. But so she came out in all one fell swoop. And if I thought my son's cord was short, oh my gosh, her cord was like half the length of his. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, like the midwife was like, you know, I don't even think this cord is 12 inches long. Like, I mean, it was so short. Like this baby was pretty much just between my legs. Like I really couldn't even bring her up at all. Like, I mean, trying to turn over from being on all fours to my you know, to like reclining was so difficult because I had mm -hmm. this baby between my legs. Like it was, it was really crazy. Um, and so, and looking back, I don't know if this was the best move at the time. Um, 
but I, you know, I wanted to hold my baby up to my chest and I wanted to nurse her. So, you know, I gave the okay for this, but I don't know if it was the best decision now that I'm looking back on it, but mm -hmm. we decided to just clamp, you know, to cut the cord earlier, like before the placenta came out, like I had a contraction, nothing happened. I had another contraction, nothing happened. Like, so, you know, after about two contractions, we were waiting for this placenta to come out. You know, um, I was like, I really just want to hold the baby up to my chest. So she was like, you know, we can, we can clamp it now. Um, and so we did. And I mean, that the placenta didn't come out until about, oh gosh, I want to say like 50 minutes later. I mean, it was, you know, it was a lot longer than with my son. Like, and I don't know if that, if that was because we cut it. I, I mean, we, we waited a contraction or two, I think before we cut it, but I don't know. It was just really uncomfortable having that baby like between my legs and she was screaming. Like, you know, my son, he let out one little cry and that was it. And I knew mm -hmm. he was fine. She came out screaming. Like she was just, you know, wow, wow, wow. Like, I mean, constant, like it was just, she was very loud, very, um, you know, so I wanted to hold my baby, you know, like mm -hmm. I wanted to try to calm her down. Um, so we did cut the cord before the placenta came out and that was a little different. And I don't know if that was right or wrong. Uh, you know, I think we just did what we thought was best at the time. And, you know, yeah. midwife, you know, asked my permission, you know, I mean, she was like, is this what you want to do? And I was like, yes. So that's what we did. And when, when the placenta finally came out, she looked at the cord and she was like, this is not even 12 inches long. Like this is the shortest cord she's ever seen. And she's, you know, been a midwife for 40 years. Oh, like, wow. So, <laughs> so um, that was interesting. It was just so funny because the whole pregnancy, I kept saying, oh, my son had a short cord, blah, blah, blah. As, as if it would only be isolated to his birth. Mm -hmm. I, I never once thought that I would have another baby with a tiny short cord. So I'm wondering if it's like a genetic thing. I really don't know. Um, hmm. But, but yeah, like, so when we got done, you know, we waited in there for quite some time before moving me over to my main bed, um, probably a couple hours. And the midwife, you know, she said that, you know, she looked at, she looked at my, uh, you know, area when I was done and she said, oh, wow, that's beautiful. Like she said, there's no, no tearing or anything at all. Oh, baby. Goodness. And so, so I didn't tear at all. And I, I, that really was kind of an afterthought to me, although I had a goal of like, I would love to birth a baby without tearing. Um, you know, I didn't even think about that until she said, oh, you didn't tear. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah. I, and she thought that I might've with that hand coming, coming through with the face, but, um, no, it didn't happen. And so, you know, and I, I really just attribute that to me just being patient and waiting to push with the contractions instead of trying to like push, 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 you know, because I was just like I did with my son. Um, and you know, the midwife, you know, she complimented me on the level of control I had. Like I didn't ever once, I never once started screaming like I did with my son. Um, I kept it low. Like once I got through singing, when it got too hard to sing, I just started doing low open moans and I kept it that way. Like I never once, like, I mean, I had the temptation. I almost started to kind of scream for a minute and she, midwife was, she looked at me and she was like, don't start wailing on me. <laughs> um, but she was just so encouraging. Like, you know, she kept saying stuff like you're, you're a lion, you're a lion. Like every time I would, you know, go through the really, really hard contractions. Um, 
And, you know, and that phase was much shorter this time. Like, you know, I, I really think it got drawn out with my son because I was so afraid and I was so like angry and like tensed up. And, and this time I just, I let it happen. I didn't fight it. Mm -hmm. And I really think that just made such a difference. And so when the baby was born, I mean, I just felt like, you know, I said to my friend, cause she literally got there right when the head was coming out. Like she got to see the baby be born, like right there at the last minute. And I told her, I said, cause she, you know, she's like 20 years old. She never had a baby or anything. Um, I said, you know, that it gets really hard at the end and you, you, once it's over, you're like, man, I'm never doing that again. But then that feeling goes away, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I like to do it again. Uh -huh. um, but I do remember feeling like, oh man, after that, it's like, why would I willfully do this every day? <laughs> it's so hard, but you know, that feeling always fades and mm -hmm. you have another baby. And, um, so it really was just great. And honestly, the only drawback to having had such a like, you know, you know, I didn't need any stitching. I didn't need anything after, you know, everything was fine after was that I, I think I started moving around and doing stuff too soon after the baby was born because I felt so good. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I feel great. Blah, blah, blah. And like, I just, whereas with my son, I was kind of stuck in bed because I did not feel like I could even really walk or anything for a few days. Like, so I, I really think the only, the only negative, if there is a negative, um, is that I, I was, I felt a little too good and I, I kind of did a little too much too soon, um, you know, chasing after my son and, and then taking care of this new baby. You know, I was like, oh, I feel great. I can walk to the bathroom. I can, you know, I can go in the kitchen and cook a meal. Like, you know, I was kind of, I was taken on too much too soon. And I think it, it made me bleed for a little bit longer, uh, than I did with, with my son. But other than that though, I mean, I, I just, when I, when I think back on it, I just cannot believe how different those two births were. You know, mm -hmm. I, I was just such a different person. Um, cause when, when I was birthing my son, I, you know, I had my husband like right behind me and like holding me and all this stuff. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but the second time I, I didn't feel like I needed him or anybody else really. Mm -hmm. I mean, right at the end, I liked having my midwife behind me. I do admit that. Like I, I liked having her support and I was so surprised at feeling that way when it was all said and done. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm really, now I see why someone wants a midwife. Like that's what you want is you want that support right when you're in the throw of it. And, and you just need that person to look at you and go, you can do this like that, like that, that was just the right amount. Like it wasn't too much. It wasn't too little. And before, even though I had hired her, I didn't anticipate feeling so fulfilled in that way. Like having this support person, you know, be exactly what I need. I didn't, I didn't know that I would, I would walk away from this feeling that way. Um, so it was such a pleasant surprise, you know, considering before I went into it all like, oh, midwife, I can't rely on a midwife. I can't rely on anybody. Like I was mm -hmm. kind of dramatic at the beginning of the pregnancy with my daughter and, and and now I'm at like a comfortable middle ground. It's like, you know, I, I, you can, a midwife can be great if they're the right fit. Um, mm -hmm. And, and that seems like that should be obvious, but you know, I guess when you're coming out of a, a less than perfect situation, it feels like it's either, it's either works or it doesn't. And since it didn't work, that means it never works. Like, you know, so you, you go into this thinking of like absolutes, 
Um, mm -hmm. But so, so it was a really great experience to just have that midwife problem be kind of answered for me and the any any open questions left by by the birth of my son or the difficulty of it or or the trauma after it all of that got answered and wrapped wrapped up by the birth of my daughter and i feel like it just came full circle and mm -hmm. i just feel so satisfied with it and and it's it's so hard because i just i don't have many people to talk to about it because most women don't have you know, like they, they don't even have really much agency at all in their own births. And, you know, it can be feel kind of isolating to, to have this story and to want to talk about it, but to have nobody to talk about it with, um, mm. you know, so I'm, that's why I'm really glad I got to be on here and at least tell some audience who has some interest. Cause you know, I've, I've yeah. listened to quite a few, quite a few of these, uh, birth warrior podcasts, uh, uh, stories and they're they're so satisfying to hear uh, and I just wish I knew these people like in real life <laughs> and could see them and I wish it was the norm you know that's just really just what I wish I wish having a baby at home was the norm and having a you know whenever I talk to anybody you know who doesn't have this kind of experience about my the births of my babies it, it really just stop the conversation just kind of stops it oh wow I can never do that without without medication you know, and that's about it. Like that's, that's kind of the, the point they take away is, oh, wow, she did it without pain medication. Wow. And, you know, but it's so much more than that. Like, it's that's, so much that's, more. It's so much. such an afterthought to me, like pain medication, you know, like that's, mm -hmm. but, but in our culture, that's like the central thing. And, and, and it's, I don't know. So I hope to change that, at least with my kids. Like, I hope that, you know, birth can just be like this normal thing and not a big deal mm -hmm. um and they won't be afraid of it you know because i i definitely took a lot of fear in, into my the birth of my son because of just the culture i've lived in you know mm -hmm. and i i actually had a nice uh birth story myself my mother had me in a hospital but she wasn't induced unlike with my three siblings she was induced with all of them she wasn't induced with me she went into spontaneous labor and then she had me in the room and nobody was there she didn't even push me out. She said, I just came out. So mm -hmm. to me, that says fetal ejection reflex. I mean, I, I don't know, but that's, I mean, if she says she didn't push and I just came out, that's what it sounds like to me. Mm -hmm. And my dad's actually the one who caught me. He walked in the door, my head Aww. was coming out and he ran across the room and caught me. And so that's how I came into the world. And Aww. so that's you know, really so special. It is special. And, and I think that, you know, that's half the reason I have a decent relationship with my mother um, I've always been a little closer to her than my siblings. I mean, we're all close, but I, it's always been easier for me than I, than I think it has been for my three siblings. Um, and, you know, I never gave that much thought until I was pregnant with my daughter. i never really thought much about how I was born. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's just a process. And I, I hope to bridge the gap in my own family because the, the last people in my family who were born at home, were my grandparents. My grandmother was born at home and I'm sure my late grandfather was also born at home. He was born in 35. My grandmother was born in 37. My papa, it's on my paternal side, my grandfather, my dad's side, he was born in 39 and he was also born at home. And my ma, she was born in 41. She was born in the hospital. So I see a shift from the thirties to the forties 
the trend changed in America and more people were being born in the hospital after, you know, 1940 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I am like bridging the, the gener- couple generations long gap. And I hope that, you know, I don't know. I just hope to encourage other people to do that. And, um, you know, like that girl I invited to my birth, you know, she wants to have a home birth for sure. And she's probably, I think she's like the only person working in the nursing, you know, working in the hospital and seeing babies be born there who's seen an actual birth, like, you know, that's unimpeded and not, mm-hmm. you know, totally managed like it is in the hospital. So, you know, I, I just hope to help change our culture a little bit. And I, I think there is a, a, you know, a shift happening. I mean, you know, it's, it's happening. It's oh. happening for sure. Um, well, Haley, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing your stories. Thank you so much for allowing me to record you today um, and trusting me to record your stories today and allowing, and allowing me to hold space. It's truly such a privilege and such a huge, huge, huge honor um, and pleasure for me. I truly, truly appreciate this. Um, and is there any last parting words of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Um, just that, you know, you need to trust in yourself and that can take a lot of forms and it can come in a lot of different ways. Um, I don't think we'll ever stop learning. I think that's, you know, uh, I don't think, I don't think any of us ever quit learning anything. Like, I think there's always more to learn. Ugh, excuse me. My voice is just coming out. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but I just, you know, if, if you trust in yourself, I mean, that's, that's what you have. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's hard in this culture because we are told repeatedly not to trust ourselves. But, um, I think once you overcome that hurdle, it's like, wow, I can do anything. Um, so that applies to birth and really everything in life, but mm-hmm. yeah. So 1000%. Thank you so much, Haley. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening. Storytelling is a profound agent of change. One that has the ability to plant seeds of inspiration, introspection, and beyond. If you have an empowering birth story that you would like to share on our podcast, please head over to IndieBirth.org forward slash birth warrior to send your submissions. That's IndieBirth.org forward slash birth warrior. Hope you have a beautiful week wherever you are in the world. Until next time, friends.